This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Abuse takes all different forms, and, and quite often people don't even realize what's happening until it's too late, and then maybe that abuse takes a, a violent or a physical turn. But what about things like coercive behavior? What if your partner you know, withholds finances or controls who you see and when you see them? In the vast majority of physical domestic violence cases, coercive control comes first before that happens. But it's also an area that kind of legally hasn't been really recognized. It often gets overlooked. Can it be done? Can we criminalize coercive behavior in some way? Well, Laurel Collins thinks so. She's the federal NDP deputy critic for family, children, and social development and MP for Victoria. She's actually tabled a private member's bill on this and joins us now. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks so much for having me on. What would this bill do? So the bill is criminalizing coercive and controlling behavior. And um, we know, as you mentioned, that this occurs in, you know, 90 to 95 percent of um, intimate partner, like physical intimate partner violence situations. Um, It is often a precursor to violence. It is also one of the... um, greatest risk factors to femicide. And so even in cases where there's been no physical violence uh, in the lead up, it is almost always present um, before a woman is killed um, by her, her partner and or ex-partner. Um, and so it is so critical that we develop tools to intervene um, and to give victims and survivors uh, the support they need uh, And so we would be adding to the uh, criminal code to ensure that coercive control um, is is able to be prosecuted uh, in a court of law and that survivors actually have the tools they need to recognize this, to report it, and then to get the support they need. Okay, so how would the bill, like, what does the bill do to set that out? How would we criminalize something like coercive control? Do you have to demonstrate it? How do you prove it? Yeah, so, you know... Just think about, for an example, um, someone controlling their partner's transportation or let's say in the case of uh, the Nova Scotia shooter, you know, tragic event. But about 10 years before that, he had a history, of course, of control and uh, intimate partner violence in his relationship. And he had taken the tires off of his girlfriend's car. He changed the locks on their doors to try and prevent her from leaving and taking her stuff. Um, And in that case, you know, they have a shared vehicle. It is a shared house that they live in. The police were aware of what was going on, but there's nothing there that they can arrest him for necessarily. Uh, there isn't a, you know incident of uh, physical violence. And what we know about intimate partner violence is it is patterns of behavior. Our incident-based approach to it that, you know, looks for bruises or broken bones um, can go a small way uh, forward, but really, um, if we want to capture domestic violence um, and intimate partner violence, we need to look at these patterns of abuse and we need to give um, victims and police the tools they need to intervene before uh, that violence happens. Okay, so then using that example about, um, you know, the Nova Scotia situation, 
how do you write the law so that what was done in that case would be something that the police would be able to step in? Yeah, so the the law that we uh, have put forward, um, that I've put forward as my private member's bill, is based on uh, the UK law. And so back in 2015, the UK passed a bill criminalizing course of control. And what it does is it says that um, if someone is having a significant impact on a person that they are connected to, and so those two things are defined, a significant impact means that the person has a reasonable fear of violence or they are having... Um, the the actions of the other person is having a significant impact on their uh, deterioration of their mental health or physical health, um, or uh, the person is exerting control in these specific ways um, and things like uh, ac- you know denying or controlling their access to communication, transportation, um, among many right. other things, well, issuing threats and harassment, etc. Yeah. So wouldn't that also fall under the threatening category? Like, why can't police be like, well, this seems threatening. Therefore, we think you're making threats. Yeah. And, you know, we do have laws in Canada around harassment. What the research shows is that isn't actually capturing. And some of those laws were developed in response to the fact that we know that um, domestic violence isn't um, being adequately responded to with our criminal justice system. Unfortunately, how that's played out is that still um, people don't have the tools to intervene. And um, those uh, making arrests using those harassment laws has been a challenge. Um, and, you know, you know, take, for example, the, you know, removing the, the tires from a shared vehicle, um, kind of proving that that is harassment isn't, necessarily captured right now and taking away someone's keys or you know what we've heard from a lot of um folks who are newcomers uh who've experienced this is it's their partner taking their immigration documents or their passport or not being cooperative um within the context of their you know as their sponsor um and using that as a way to control them and the thing about this is that it is a pattern of behavior there are and, and like, and it shows up differently in each relationship, but there are really key signs. Um, and we can, and we've seen this as um, be used effectively in the UK after their uh, initial criminal and course of controlling bill was passed. There was an increase of um, 31% of calls for support. It meant not only were people more aware and were reaching out for support when this type of abuse was happening, um, but then they also saw uh, in the first year, it was something along the lines of just over 4,000 arrests um, and convictions on course of control. And then in the second year, uh, 24,000. And so uh, this is something that we can uh, convict. It is something that we can support uh, victims and survivors to get help in those situations and, and really help them leave those really dangerous situations that they're in. One of the changes that we've made to our bill is um, to extend the time that people are considered connected and so considered to be in a relationship. And what we've heard from frontline organizations and survivors of intimate partner violence is actually the time when they're leaving is the most dangerous. Um, And so we have built into our bill uh, that people are still considered connected if they have been married or common law or dating partners in the past two years um, so that we actually are giving them the tools in the time when they are attempting to leave those situations. Right. Okay. So what has the reaction been like from the other parties for this? You know, I have uh, been really encouraged. We've 
uh, garnered support from all parties in the House. Um, we also, uh, last week, it was, you know, debating uh, second reading of the bill, and uh, we also got support from all parties to speed it along and bring it to committee rather than having to kind of go through a number of um, legislative steps. We've been able to fast-track it to committee. I presented uh, yesterday at committee, and we had a, re- a really... Um, yeah, meaningful discussion about the ins and outs of the bill and with people from all parties expressing how important this legislation is and uh, how we need to do more to address intimate partner violence and gender-based violence and to end femicide. Interesting. Well, thank you so much for your time and telling us about it. Thanks so much for having me on. That's Laurel Collins, the MP for Victoria and the NDP critic, a deputy critic for Families, Children and Social Development, talking about criminalizing coercive control, kind of doing what the UK has done, as she explained there, uh, and the difference that could make if police had the tools to make more arrests in situations like that.